You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowland. I'm joined once again by Matt Kendrick and James Rushton. Now, I'm going to preface the podcast by saying it's probably not going to be a great podcast for the audio listener because there's going to be a lot of pauses, a lot of me saying, I don't know what I've just seen there from Aston Villa. Now, James, I'm glad you're on because maybe you've got some tactical insight that you can throw at us. No. I don't know if you're so good in that first half and lose a game 3-2 against a Burnley side that haven't scored three goals in a game since November 2019. They've scored 10 goals, I think, at Turf Moor. No, five goals it might even be at Turf Moor all, all year. They've scored three in one night today. At half-time, I'm posting on this Facebook page that people are watching live now saying, exquisite football, confident Aston Villa, Jack Grealish masterclass, Gary Lineker says on Twitter. And we've lost the game 3-2. And I don't know how that's happened. What gentlemen back and go, I just, I just don't know anymore. It's just football, how it works. I remember a, a Leeds match last season where half-time you're looking, how, you know, amazing. It's, what they're doing is amazing here. And they, they lose the match and everyone's left wondering why. These things happen and they happen to good teams. So I think the, the best thing to take from it is the bigger picture stuff, which is, you know, Villa on the up that first half. Probably some of the best football we've seen the club play. Um, Burnley probably got lucky on one goal, but we were, the, the few chances they had, we were pretty soft. And it, it seemed like they just had the right away. Chris Wood seemed to cause them so much damage at the back when Vidra come on, running the channels and stretching them. But even then, you look at the chances Villa had and you, have, you think this game should have been put away ages ago. And that's the only only conclusion I can come to. And the, the reason they weren't is in part down to their own failure to bury a chance, but also Nick Pope. So just take it on the chin. We go again, I guess. Matt, I, know how, um, I know how Sean Dodge feels now because that, that's really stuck in my throat. So, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it was. I've, I actually made some notes um, during oh. this game. Just Christ. because I thought I'd be professional and I'd try and pay yeah. attention. It, it really and is just, the end of the world. <laughs> I know, yeah, what's going on? What parallel universe are we in? It was just some of the intricate football that we're playing, little kind of round the corners, give and goes, first first time passes. Um, you know, <laughs> I did make a terrible note about Jack Grealish having better vision than, you know, when you're at the opticians and they put those extra lenses in and they stack yeah. up two or three lenses. He just sees everything. He just you sees... You wrote that down? I did write it down, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't let that pass me by. Um, that's how bad it is tonight. Um, it was just... I don't know. I think I think James has made a good point. I mean, the, the way Vidra came on and kind of, like he said, put that... I think they just had that extra bit of urgency um, towards the end. Villa thought they'd got the job done, I think, when they got back in front um, through Grealish. And it just, it just unsettled them. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it was complacency. I don't think this. I think this team is still too humble and too workmanlike still to be mm. complacent. But it was just it was just disappointing because for a, a Villa from a new side, Burnley don't score three goals very often. You know, Villa don't concede three that often. Now I know we've conceded True. four against Leeds and against Southampton, but this this defense doesn't give away cheap goals like that generally. I mean, the first goal was. I mean, James will probably know better than me about the marking, but it looked to me like Douglas Louise and, and Ross Barkley both switched mm. off, yeah. uh, left, leaving um, Tarkovsky and, and me a free run at goal. Um, the second goal was just a freak, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And the third goal, Chris Wood, 
you know, he's he's gone up against Matt Target, hasn't he? And he, he's beaten him in the air. He couldn't have put that anywhere else in the goal. It mm. was just so, same same for the for the um, the second equaliser as well. It couldn't have gone anywhere else. It, I think it was just destined to be. And the kind of optimist within me that still lurks just about thinks maybe it's just we take it as a not a wake up call that that. The, the, the team's got complacent, but just a wake-up call that we're not going to win every week, even when we're playing yeah. some of the most scintillating football that we've, we've seen Villa play for, for a long time. We're not going to win every week. Um, so that's me clutching, clutching for a positive. Yeah, I don't expect us to win every week because I'm not, I'm not stupid. But we've played Burnley there over a game and a half and absolutely battered them and come away with one point. Now, a side yeah. that's chasing down for European places, that's not good enough if that's Villa's ambition to get into the top six this season, which is still a stretch, even if we'd applied, even if we'd got something to know it. Actually, getting into that top six is a difficult task, I understand. But you've played very well at, their, at our place and got nil nil. Their first half today, we were outstanding at times and should be two or three and up at half time if things go your way. And I know it's, not, again, it's not as easy as that. But you look. I think you'll look at those two results and think one point against the Burnley side that don't score goals, and we've played well. That's the annoying thing as well. We don't. I don't even think we were particularly bad really in that second half. I don't know whether. I mean, people in the comments are going in on Villa here, saying that you know Mings this, Mings that, complacent. I'm not even particularly sure that's that's true. I think the only game we've been truly bad in is that Leeds game. I think Burnley just got. I mean that that burnt, that first goal that you mentioned—that's just peak Burnley, isn't it? That's like giving James Ward-Prowse a free kick on the edge of the area. You don't give away corners, and if you do, you mark much better than that. So that's schoolboy error. The second goal is a freak, and that probably hits for a little bit and throws them. And the last goal, they just switch off, it, and that's that. I don't think it's a bad game or a bad performance. It doesn't matter if they're a bad side either. I just think it's very disappointing, and not to be like too over the top for one game, but I've just come away at the full time whistle and you just think, oh, I feel sick. That was terrible. Um, I wouldn't I call it result. We wouldn't call it complacency. I don't think. I just think. Maybe that ties into just being far too comfortable, um, because Villa were very comfortable in that that um, the first half, and I guess in the second half, um, you could see that Burnley, Burnley smelt blood in the water. Burnley knew they're onto a good thing just by doing really simple little things, and even the second goal, it goes in and Dwight McNeil holds his hands up, and you know it's, it is a complete freak, and it is almost an accident. They ain't going to give you a goal back for that. You've got to carry on oh, yeah, and uh, proceed. You've got to raise your intensity. Don't think it's complacency. I think you're t- looking at, we, we all, we're not going to want to look at the big picture stuff directly after a game. That has hit us in the jaw, man. I, I was feeling those those levels of, of, of anxiety that you haven't felt in a long time watching Villa. Um, so that's credit to them. But big picture stuff, nine times out of ten, Villa win that game. So I think I'm hanging more on more on that than anything. But no, we said that about the home game yeah. as well. Nine times out of ten, we <laughs> yeah. beat Burnley, and we had an opportunity to do it tonight at half time. We should be going. Oh well, no. I mean, even if Burnley score one, they're not going to score two. So as long as we don't score two, we'll be okay here. They definitely won't score three. So it's just it's just a kick in the teeth, isn't it, or whatever cliche yeah. else you want to throw it? Kicking the nads, whatever. It's just take it, on the, take it on the chin. This is how a big team feels. This is how a big successful team feels when they're playing well. They should have scored more and they've went to turf more and they've lost. This is how, you know, it's almost like the price of success, isn't it? I mean, you know, look, look at the last seasons when, when we've played Burnley. It's been, you know, two terrible matches. I know we've had it this this season, but the narrative is so different. Villa have come to turf more expecting a win. Villa have played 
Burnley at Villa Park expecting a win, which is just levels above where we were last season. So one bad night. Let's hope it doesn't happen again. Then we can start having a conversation about how terrible we can we can be and how, how disappointing this is. There's a cop comment I want to come on to in a sec, James, about zonal marking. There's two that I want to clarify. First of all, I can't show one on the screen because of language. Someone says, come on, Dan, that second half was poor compared to the first half. Agreed. Compared to the second half, obviously it was poor. Dodging mistakes and all their goals. Who's marking on the set piece? Second half was okay, but not good enough. Yeah, I agree. The second half wasn't good enough, but I don't think we were poor. I don't think we were a bad side in the second half. And then another comment says, Dan, why do you keep saying we came out with one point? We lost. We get F4. Over the two games, Burnley, home and away, we got one point. We should have got six, uh, is my point. Um, zonal marking, James, there's a lot of talk about it. Why is Barkley marking a central defender anyway? Why is McGinn, Bark- Why is McGinn marking Vestergaard in, at that Southampton game? Why yeah. is Douglas Louise and Barkley even tasked with, with marking Ben Mee? Why isn't that Tyra Ming's job to go, well, here's your man, you're the beast guy, you deal with it. Why do we persist with zonal marking when it doesn't seem to be working? And we say it doesn't work, but we haven't mentioned it since that Southampton game. We're only we only to like highlight it when it doesn't work. And I think a big reason is I just don't think these specific Villa players are gonna be any good at defending set pieces because they're either height, the physicality, you know, you you're lining up players like Douglas Louise, Ross Barkley and John McGinn against people like Yan- Yannick Vesegard, Ben Mee and Tarkowski. So that, you know, there's differences there and there's little minute things. I think I don't want to sound like, you know, overly positive about it, but you you're not worrying about those things since that Southampton game. How long ago does that seem now? And with the with the marking system specifically, I think it is more of a mixed thing and you've got you know, on the outside zones, people marking men and the inside zones, the zone, they've been allowed a free run on the zone and had a good goal. And when you see Ben Mee score, you see the frustration of Edry Constant, and the frustration of Tyrone Mings. That's happened. And I hope those frustrations can lead to them actually building on something here because even though I say it's positive, that like we haven't mentioned it since Southampton, it's kind of the same thing. And it's against the same type of teams that do have these aggressive goal-scoring centre-backs who is so dangerous from set pieces. So got to be something there to learn if we're taking anything from it. Yeah, the thing is, it's, it's the battle of two game plans, wasn't it, really? It's like two two different sports, to be honest. It's like somebody playing bloody Jenga against somebody playing Connect Four, and they've executed their... However good Villa looked in the first half, they've executed their game plan better than we've executed ours. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's... I don't know. We knew, didn't or we didn't know. We didn't think we were going to have that sting in the tail. But there was always that feeling that 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 to me, first half was more superior than a one nil deficit. Should have been two or three nil up. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like, like James says, the, it, I don't think I don't think there's any cause for us to get too doom and gloom over it. I think I don't think well, we'll see what follows in the next couple of weeks. But I don't think that's that's the, the start of a of a dip. I think it's just like a chance to reset and mm. I mean there were there were a couple I mean I, I thought I thought Barkley showed that he'd been out of action for, for a while tonight. Mm-hmm. I thought he looked he looked a little bit jaded and 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 not quite at it. Um I think Marvellous Nakamba can can consider himself really, really unlucky. Um, yeah, I said that before the game yeah. to, to not be in that team. I think he'd done everything that he could to, to stay in it. Um, the thing is, we, a lot of people, and we said, or I said to, to people off the podcast that John McGinn's available, he comes straight back in the side because he's such a good player. And the flip side of it, you think, well, Nakamba played very well and you don't change a winning team 
kind of at all costs, really, it should be with anything. Yeah, but it is McGinn, and on a normal day, if we'd have won tonight, you wouldn't even have thought twice like that. So now we're going, oh, maybe he could have been in there. But like you said, yeah. maybe he could have been in there instead of Barkley. Barkley's not fully fit, shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't be playing, should he? Um, there's a few people saying we were a bit jaded in that second half, and there's also a few people saying that I'm not being too, I'm not being harsh enough on Villa by saying that we, we weren't poor in the second half. Like, do you two disagree? Do you think we were that bad? Is the cause for concern? Because personally, I, I put it on Twitter at, at during, I think, when Bernie scored the third, and I put it with terrible grammar because I was so annoyed. Um, losing tonight doesn't make Villa a bad bad side or a bad team or we're going to have a bad season. In the in the context of a one-game, 90-minute match tonight, yeah, it feels like a disaster because we should be comfortably winning there tonight, especially after that first half. So, yes, it feels like the end of the world now, but it doesn't mean Villa are going to have a bad season. It doesn't make us a bad side. It's a bad day at the office. But I, I still stand by, I don't think we were particularly poor in that second half. I don't think it was that bad. It's just they've just hit us and got lucky and been clinical and stuck there with grit and determination, which is exactly what you expect from, from Burnley and Sean Dosh. And Villa have just been stung and, and that's as far as it goes. I don't think this is going to be the start of a three or four game losing streak. I don't think yeah. there's that much cause for concern is my point. It's like three sucker punches, isn't it? That they got each goal was just, it almost comes out of nowhere. It almost seems as a surprise and you know, the feeling that you're all feeling now, which we're all feeling, that, that kind of well in your stomach, must be what the Villa players are feeling as well. I mean, but you look at Burnley, how long they've been in the Premier League now, how they've established themselves. They do this time and time and again. This isn't a new thing that they've decided to do against Villa. Like, this is this just happens. It's just one of those things that happens. It's a blip. It, it happens to every single team that comes to Turf Moor. They haven't been in massively great form this season, but, you know, now, now it's a time they turn it on. Unfortunately, it looks like we're the start of that, hopefully that. Well, hopefully for them, it's the uh, the start of it. Hopefully for us, it's the end, and we don't make these blips anymore. But you know, we've got to just take the lessons from it and move on. Because you know, if we if we dwell on it and become this Villa team that's worried, you know, we we played with so much confidence, and I don't want that to go away. I don't want our momentum to be affected at all by this. It shouldn't be. We should move on and uh, look for some wins. Yeah, well, I don't think it's quite the start. You know, the, when I won at, the first team to win at Anfield for however, oh, yeah. many, however many years. So I don't think it should be that much of a shock. But, but don't James, forget the yeah. MK Dons win either. Yeah, yeah. Don't, um, don't, uh, oh, I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> what was I going to say? You've, you've thrown me now. <laughs> Do you need me to feel like, like I can feel with something? No, like, like James, James says, Burnley are an established Premier League club in recent years. You know, they're, they're, they're streetwise. I mean, it, it made me laugh when uh, I think McManaman described them as a bit one-dimensional. I thought, a bit one-dimensional? That's not <laughs> saying a piece of A4 paper is a bit one-dimensional in it, do you know what I mean? But they they know they, they know how to kind of play, play the percentages, don't they? You know, while they're kind of playing it through the lines with nice little one-twos and uh, Jack Grealish drifting into space, they're thinking... Nah, mate, we ain't got time for that. <laughs> Just going along with it, and we're going to pick up the pick up the nod downs and the flick ons and stuff like that. But it works for them, and they just seem to have this kind of, you know, you get your kind of bogey teams and stuff. They they mm. seem to have this kind of little edge over us. Um, you know, it wasn't great. I know we went there New Year's Day last year and got got a decent result, but it came at a cost, didn't it? Yeah. Um, which brings us on to. Um, am I right in thinking there was a deleted tweet or Villa tonight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, think he jinxed it, you know. I think yeah, he well, it. I get people, bad karma. 
I tweet things, don't I? And get people going, oh, you've jinxed it, oh, this, that, and the other. It's, oh, tweets don't matter. So I'm going to sit here and say that Villa didn't jinx it because that's my defence. But yeah, Villa did this tweet saying, uh, the foul on Watkins, I think, saying about like, oh, we're up turf more. So as usual, our striker is fouled and, we've, you know, so-and-so has gone in the book for it. People are retweeting and going, oh, well done admin and all this rubbish. So like, oh, it's embarrassing. Like, I think, I, I don't know, I think, like you said, it's been deleted now, which... I mean, if it was still there, I'd be going, it's embarrassing. Villa handle themselves with class in all areas. We don't need to be silly on social media and, and play games for, for likes and retweets. It's, yeah, this is... I don't like stuff like that. I mean, you won't hear me say this very, very often, but I agree with, with Stan Collymore's position on this because, you know, there's enough banter accounts on social yeah. media, including including our own, to be honest. And, you know, cool, people, yeah. people sometimes question whether whether the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the news media should be quite as uh, quite as whatever um what's the word i'm looking for i don't know cheerleading or gunk or whatever as we are but i just you know stay classy you don't need to say that could you imagine dean smith's reaction to seeing mm. that you know i thought sean dodge when he came out yesterday and kind of played the old hawkeye card was a, a little bit low but we don't yeah. need to do that we don't need to we, we don't need to not on our not on our official account anyway but perhaps that's but that's me being a a miserable, miserable, boring old man. But I just, I don't know, I just found it a little bit cheap. No, I agree. I, I'm miserable, but I'm not not that old. Um, moving on. Things that people are talking about in the comments, live on Facebook and YouTube, is Grealish and Smith arguing at the end. Quickly clear that up. Don't want to talk about it too long. Grealish was having a go at somebody from the Burnley uh, bench, one of their assistants or coaches. I don't know what over. I heard him say something about the whistle. I don't know if it was blown too early or whatever it was. And Smith's basically saying, just leave it. Just stay away. And Smith and Grealish have a bit of a back and forth because Grealish wants to have a go at the Burnley guy. Nothing to it. There's people saying, oh, is this Grealish unhappy? Is he having a go at Smith? Does this mean he wants to get out of the out of the club? Calm down. It's not that at all. <laughs> okay. uh, he was having to go at the Burnley coach. I don't know what about, but that's what it was. And it's Smith really was saying, right. just he could have just lost the game, any? Yeah, exactly. Really, Smith really was saying, really calm down. Lost the game that they should have should have won easily. Smith's I mean, if you don't have the, it ain't affecting his form, is it? Oh yeah, exactly. Smith's just saying, calm down. Cause you'll be you'll be fined eight grand if you if you don't be careful, and then you'll they'll change some rules and you won't get your money back. Um, if he gets booked, and uh, would he? Get yeah, exactly. Silly booking, of course. Yeah, so. Just calm yourself down, Jack. It doesn't mean he's leaving. He wasn't arguing. We move on. Um, Tara Mings. People in the comments are crucifying him, basically, saying yeah. he's the weak link. He's too casual. He makes mistakes. You don't see Conta making these mistakes week in, week out. Tara Mings is doing this. Tara Mings is doing that. There's a couple of comments in there saying that some of the criticism is unfair. Some people saying, no, it's totally, totally justified. Where do you stand on the, the Tara Mings situation? Because at one point, he's our best centre-half by a mile. Ezri Consumid is now our best centre-half, I believe. I don't think Mings is a terrible footballer by any means, but he does have that mistake in him that we've talked about time and time again. So what do we do now? Do you persist with, persist with him or do you drop him out? Which seems unthinkable, really. I don't think Smith does things like that. I don't, Matt, I'm going to let you answer first. I don't, know, I don't <laughs> I even know where to begin <laughs> Even a casual Tyrone Mings is, is quite by some distance in the best two centre-halves at our football club, isn't he? Mm. Surely, you know, yeah. it's... I don't know. Well, I, listen, I just think he's a footballing centre-half. So if you've got a footballing centre-half, you've got to be prepared for him to, to take that extra touch and to not always try and, you know, launch it up the field all the time. Yeah. You know, it's... 
I don't know, this sounds really, really kind of a bit kind of sickly, I suppose, but you win together and you lose together. And I don't like the idea of, of, of digging digging somebody out. Did Villa lose that game because of Tyro Mings? They, lo- they, they lost it because collectively they, they weren't able to see the job through. I don't think it was, I don't think it was all Tyro Mings' fault. Take it, you know, what, what do you, what, I mean, what, what do you think? Will you, would you drop him on the base of that? Basis well, of that? Uh, everyone's entitled to opinion. Craig says it should never have been dropped. It should never have dropped Hawes to let Mings come back in after his suspension or, or injury or whatever it was that got him out of the team. I've already forgotten. Was it was injured, so. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Just, I, I don't see Mings doing something like that. It feels a bit like, I feel, it feels lazy to even say, but it feels like we need a bit of a scapegoat with Villa all the time. It's, there's always somebody isn't there, to, to pin some kind of blame on, and because he's made the odd mistake here and there, it's easy to just go, oh, well, Tyra Mings has let us down there, and I don't think that's particularly the case. Um, I don't think Tyra Mings is the issue. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the issue is. Like you're just saying there, Matt, is he the reason we've lost tonight? Part of my answer is I don't know. I don't really know how Villa have lost that tonight. How, is exactly how I started this podcast, and I don't think until I watch things back that way I can go, oh, yeah, this, that, and the other. Um, but yeah, I don't think, and I particularly don't think Smith is the kind of manager to go, well, he's had a bit of a, a stink there, I'm dropping him. Mings is one of the, the first names on, in the team sheet, I think. He's one of his favourites, I would suggest. If McGinn had a slightly bad game and, and gave away a goal or whatever, he's not the, the type of manager that comes in and drops him. So I don't think you'll see that happen with with someone like Tyra Mings. If he's a bit part player coming in to fill a gap and they make a mistake, you can easily go, well, he's not the first choice, so out, out, out you go again. Mings is your starting centre-back. He's better than Courtney Hawes and Engels is nowhere to be seen anyway. So, personally, I don't drop him. James, what do you think? No, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I remember, you know, this time last year, people digging out Bjorn Engels, people digging out Ezri Kanza, people digging out Courtney Hawes for stuff in the Championship. It always turns around and I think... We seem to have this thing where if we, we, we can't appreciate the rise of Ezri Konza without pushing someone else down, I think Ezri Konza's brilliant and I think genuinely think he's our best defender. I doesn't mean I think Tyrone Mings is bad on his dropping because who are you going to bring in? It's going to be Bjorn Engels who hasn't started a game in so long. There's and a I comment mean, here from, from James. He says, Dan, go watch the highlights in the last 12 months. He makes the same sort of mistakes every game. He's not learning. He's not though, is he? With all due respect, James, he's not making the same mistakes every single game. He will make a mistake here and there. And like you said, Matt, many, many times for a defender that plays on the ball, if you want him to have those moments where he'll cross turn somebody and ping it 50 yards and will start a counter-attack, he's going to make the odd mistake here and there. And I know people who are long-time viewers are going to go, oh, well, you, you, uh, you've been in with Mings, you're going to defend him, blah, blah, blah. That's not the case at all. But to say he makes the same mistake every game for 12 months is an overstatement, in my opinion. I don't want to say kind of the trope that because oh, he shouts a bit, he deserves to be in the team because he plays with passion, no, you know, like that, the Alan Hutton trip. But one, when I had the you know the privilege of kind of messing up the player ratings and going to the matches and reporting, like one thing that stuck out to me was how much of the thinking Tyrone Mings has to do for the back line. He is organising the back line. When he does make a mistake, usually, or someone else makes a mistake, he's usually the first one to react to it. And I know he made one against West Brom that wasn't picked up on. And he was directing Ezri Konza where to go the entire time. He's doing a lot of work for the back line. And that is no excuse for kind of the casual errors he can make and the sloppy errors he makes. But clearly that's making an impression on Dean Smith. It made an impression on me and I'm like pretty much no one. So he must be making a, an impression on Dean Smith every day. Those vocal leaders matter and it's a part of Villa's transition. It's why... They are genuinely so good now because like, there are leaders on this pitch and developing leaders. 
And sometimes, yes, they are going to make mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes are going to be every game. Sometimes the other person, like Conza, is going to make a mistake and that won't be punished, but Mings's mistake will be punished. It's just to and fro. I think Mings, is, Mings and Conza are the two best centre-backs we have at the club and they're the two centre-backs playing. Hawes isn't available. We don't have that option, so yeah. on we go. James says he's going to do the work and send me a little video edit for it and send it over with all his mistakes. Or I'll just send you one back of all his good good play. You can, you can make a video to whatever point you want, can't you? All right, it's Matt, not falling out. Um, no, what I would say... say Matt, what's your is, opinion on, on Mings? Oh, everyone's entitled to opinion. I don't want to sit there and be like, oh, well, you on think Mings, that's wrong. My opinion on Mings is this. The last time Aston Villa had a team that was capable of competing in the higher echelons of the Premier League, we're talking about a decade ago, um, maybe a little bit more. Back then, Tyra Mings, checks Wikipedia quickly, was playing for Yate Town. Um, I think we've got to try and remember the rise that this bloke has had in recent years. You know, he played a handful of games at Bournemouth in the Premier League. Uh, bad injury, you know. Let's not forget he was playing as a left-back as well, um, which I find, find hard to believe. He's coming to Villa... And I'm not saying that this cut, that this gives him slack and this gives him a free pass and the, the credit in the bank outweighs any mistakes that he makes. But he's coming to Villa. He's helped Villa in his first six months get into the Premier League, probably ahead of schedule given the way that season was, was panning out. He has had to learn his trade in the Premier League in a team with limited Premier League experience and a team that had to do a fair amount of defending last season. And on the back of that, he's got into the England squad. And then, you know, he's earned the right to be a starter for Aston Villa. And despite that, the easy thing to be would be a defender whose first break in professional football was under Mick McCarthy, a proper blood and guts kind of, you know, (laughs) clear it, get it gone defender. He's still been confident enough to be a footballing centre-half in the mm-hmm. Premier League, given the kind of strikers that he's up against every week. Now, like I say, I don't think that means that he should be immune from criticism. But also, in the context of Aston Villa's season, I haven't checked the, the stats, but Villa must still have one of the best three or four defences in the season in, in the Premier League, even having conceded three goals tonight, having conceded a couple of goals against the Manchester teams in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. So, is he a liability? Aston Villa, you know, look, we're dreaming of Europe for the first time in a decade. Can we carry liabilities? I don't think we can. I don't think he is a liability. I think we've we just got to think people will make us make mistakes. But, you know, it's certainly not from Tyron Mings giving it the kind of Billy Big one. You know, he wants to be the best, best footballer that he can be and be the best kind of ambassador for Aston Villa that he can be. So... You know, I think just lay, lay off the guy. I'm, I'm not saying don't don't pick him up on errors, but don't suddenly think that he's got to be chief scapegoat. Is my opinion. Not by the way, your phone going off. We've conserved. We've conserved. Thanks for checking the post. Is it? We've conserved versus Mings. If we're talking about it like that, you know, Mings is the one who has been starting whilst 
Conza's been in the background. He was in the background last season until he was forced to start. I don't want to say one's a teacher versus a student, but there is a, a level of mentorship that goes on within that group because it's natural. Mings is the older one. He's been starting for longer for Aston Villa for longer. So if there's some kind of men- mentorship role, yes, Conza will have to ascend to be better Mings because that's how a student-teacher relationship, if you want to look at it like that way, would work. Mm. Conza does have to come back. He's younger and he has got, you know, Conza has got the world ahead of him and, you know, Mings is... T- must be arriving at 28 soon and you know, he'll be hitting his peak very very soon so he's still he's still even got like one or two years to go before we see hopefully the best of him we'll wait and see but i don't think i like matt said i don't think it's worth just finding the weekly wink uh weak link and like pointing at it for ages because we all did it with our guys we've all done it with trezor game we've all done it with footballers one of the best left backs in the league apparently <laughs> glenn wheel and alan Hull, every, everyone gets it and even if they are deservedly a weak link or, or not i mean you go back in the day you'll see people saying it about jack Grealish and how ridiculous does that look now yeah, and you, you'd oh, have had people terrible, about he, should have, he should have finished that one he's only run the length of the pitch <laughs> doing keep up beating seven players he's got a score there you know i mean Whatever one that was, by the way. Yeah, wow. just not different class, isn't it? Just different, um, different class. So, we did our little points prediction thing before this five games in 13 days. I think that was Man City, Newcastle, Burnley, Southampton, West Ham, I think, was our little target. Um, if I've reeled that off correctly, absolute scenes. And I think I said I'd be happy with nine points. And what have we got so far? Four? Three? Three. Yeah, so three out of three from three, basically. Beat a poor Newcastle side. Should have probably got something against Man City because of VAR, and if we if the games finished at half time today, we, we'd have got something as well. Um, those Southampton and West Ham games were going to be big anyway because if we're in that little cluster for aiming for the top seven, it's going to be against those two, I think, and Everton as well. They were always going to be big, but after tonight and the fact that we've that we've not come away from Burnley with any points, and we probably deserve some. Those games are massive now. Southampton and West Ham, like seriously, seriously big games if they want to compete for that top six, top seven. Now, if that's not the the aim, which it still should, it should still be the aim. But whether it's realistic to actually finishing that top six, top seven is another matter. Do you almost feel like those two, if we are to do that, they're must wins, or can you not really have a must win game in January, February? Is that not a thing? I don't know if Villa have must win games. I mean, I mean, expectations have changed. What we. we in this really weird grey area where what, what team are Villa eleventh, Villa are probably going to be fine to do that regardless of what happens yeah, for the rest of the season. Villa they don't probably, really have to keep doing much more. They could probably replicate their form from last season and finish, you know, eleventh or twelfth. So yeah. you know, it's no big yeah. Wins will come for this Villa team. Like we we know that and hopefully it doesn't kind of tail off now because when we look at the games Villa have lost against these kind of teams, it's always been these circumstances. Then they go out and play superbly and get a win the next game. So look, all teams must lose. Like, you know, only few teams go unbeaten. Villa won't go unbeaten, you know, unless they're in the championship and winning 10 games in a row. <laughs> teams rarely go unbeaten a whole season. And, you know, the games Villa have lost have been kept to a minimum. Like as far as I can see, I've been kept to an absolute minimum. Yeah, I know we've not played bad either. I don't think. Yeah, uh, in in you know over the the, the fixtures we played, the losses have been kept to a minimum. And today we turned up at uh, Burnley. We, we we let them in, and they sniffed blood in the water and got the win. They do it all the time. Whatever, we move on and we, we get three points from somewhere else. Hopefully, we shock someone and get three points because. You know, that's how this season has worked so far. You know, you, you take the 7 2 and the, the win against Crystal Palace. I know if, if you have to get them, you have to lose to Burnley in a freak, freak result, whatever. Thoughts, Matt? 
I was just distracted a minute, mate, looking at messages. What did you say? No, um, <laughs> I'll tell you my thoughts. We've got two games. We've got Southampton and West Ham. Is that right? The next couple mm-hmm. of games. Um, I'm just wondering. Do you think? Do you think the new man will come straight in? Southampton. Do you think you put him in from the start, or do you think he'll ease him off the bench? Go on, Jones. You're the Morgan think, Sanderson podcast man. When, when we did the the podcast, I think the aim was, in our eyes, to improve on the mistakes we've made in the past, and that is kind of chucking in players instantly to fight fires. But there's no fire to fight. But you know what I mean. Putting someone in to start against West Ham. I mean, why not? If he's if he's fit and ready to go, he has played for Marseille in the, in the last few games. He he missed out the last one because of the move to to Villa. He should be fresh enough and ready to go. It's just about bedding into the team and whether the chemistry's there. Ross Barker probably didn't have the best day at the office. Yeah. There's some complaints about John McGinn. You know what? Why not? It wouldn't do. I don't think it would do a great deal of harm against West Ham, who you know like us are really on the up, and that that result could literally be anything. It could be a Villa win, West Ham win. VAR could intervene and, and, and rob it from us again, or it could be a draw. So, you know, who knows? It's I guess it's another free hit, and we, we absolutely go for it and put Sanson in. If I was Dean Smith, I, I'd be intrigued about putting Sanson in straight away. So would I, for, for Barkley. I think from a fitness perspective, he's probably fitter than Barkley because he's probably played more games than Barkley without checking the stats. I would assume mm-hmm. he has, like you said, he's been playing for Marseille. Um, he's a good age. He's a, a bit of an all-rounder. People saying, like, oh, easy me and get him used to how Villa play. I kind of see that, but... I'm still playing football. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can still surely still sort of and ping a few passes around and, and understand it. I know you've not got chemistry with your teammates, but you're still playing the same game. If he's yeah, not capable of coming straight in and playing a game of football, then he shouldn't be playing football anyway. The situation me and Josh spoke about on the podcast about easing him in, I more reflect on Jordan Vertu and Jordan Armavi, who had to come in and play so well from the start to even you know help Villa fight that massive relegation battle. Hmm. It doesn't have, Villa... Don't have to, I mean, I don't want the expectation to drop or the team to slack off. There isn't that pressure now. Villa are existing in a really comfortable space, and I don't want that comfort- comfortability to build complacency. But you have that option now where you could probably just chuck him in because it's not meaningless, but there is space for Villa now to breathe and they can do these things and they can give people match minutes to gel into the side. So I'll go for it. Yeah. Matt, give us some closing thoughts and let's go home. Well, we are home, but you know what I mean. <laughs> some closing thoughts. Um, I just want me to kind of give a, a special kind of sermon or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, some perspective. We've been, spo- we've been spoiled. We've been spoiled rotten this season, albeit from afar. Um, you know, if you're going to lose a game in frustrating circumstances, you might as well lose one when you're already, I don't know, 15 points better off <laughs> than you thought you were going to be. At this stage, I think it's. Um, I'd hate this season to end with a sense of anticlimax because I think it's been such a kind of fascinating, compelling roller coaster of the season so far. Sorry, I am quite popular, aren't I? Um, <laughs> I think it's been such a it's been such a fascinating season that I don't want us to think that we've ma- that we've spurned opportunities along the way. So it, there's a nagging doubt with the games. We've not been well beaten all season, with the exception of Leeds, I think. Mm. I don't think we've been, been really kind of put in our place, which is a good thing because it shows we're super competitive and super consistent. But because of that, the games that we do lose have been such bloody, such borderline ones, whether it's been VAR or whether it's been Southampton and it's your man pinging free kicks into the top corner. Um, or tonight where it's just kind of 
played so well and just kind of let let little you know little little kind of chinks in the armor really just just slip through so in the context of tonight disappointed but not overly worried about it but adding up all those kind of narrow defeats you just think you know if that's the difference between us finishing 6th and finishing 12th I will be gutted but having said that back in August finishing 12th was <laughs> yeah was not a dream, but you know, but it was a, it was a kind of at the height of our expectations. So that's what it is, isn't it? It's all about expectation and the fact that we're disappointed, um, having played some scintillating stuff, scored, uh, two really impressive, well worked goals. Um, the fact that we, we're disappointed at that is another measure of how far we've come. So, you know, let, let's make sure we have got those nine points from these five games. That means back-to-back wins <laughs> over Southampton and West Ham. But again, it's not beyond the realms of possibility for this team. And what we have seen, God, I've, I've turned this into a, a whole lecture, but what we have seen is that we, when Villa, this Villa team has had setbacks this season, they haven't dwelled on them for long you know, we've been able to kind of almost compartmentalise them, just kind of deal with what's happened and improve the next time out. So that's the challenge this time. Yeah. Well said. I'm happy to just press end broadcast and go, to be honest. That was a, a good little roundup. I think it's a bit of perspective. Um, like you said, it's different expectations, isn't it? Yes, you'd have taken 12th, 13th at the start of the season, but if someone offered me that now, I'd be going, oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> I think we're better than that. Um, but yeah. Like we've said many, many times, podcasts are coming thick and fast at the moment because the fixtures are. So we'll be back again Saturday evening um, to hopefully talk about three points of Villa because it'll be massive if we can. And like you just said, if it is back-to-back wins, they'll probably do better for our top six um, aspirations because we're taking points off competitors as well. I know you obviously take points from wherever, but it's denying Southampton and West Ham chances to get points as well. So we'll get out of here. We'll be back again soon. Um Still transfers going on, transfer window stuff. I mean, Villa probably need a striker, to be honest. Whether that happens or not is a whole other conversation for a whole other podcast, so we'll leave it there for tonight. Um, thanks both for joining me. Do appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, in the comments for getting involved and watching, even the ones that I've disputed against. I still appreciate your feedback. We're all entitled to our opinions, um, and if we all agreed, it'd be boring, wouldn't it? So, Matt, I can see you've got a finger up to the screen. What do you want to finish just, with? Just one thing from me. Um in terms of perspective, and you saying Villa need a striker, um, yes, we could do with a second striker, another striker. We've now got Ollie Watkins, who's fantastic. A couple of seasons ago, we got Chris Samba playing at centre half, <laughs> and he was being used as an emergency striker. So it is all about levels. Um, mm. So just remember that we're in a good place with Aston Villa at the moment. So we're disappointed, we're frustrated, but. Um, you know, it's not a bad time to be a Villa fan, is it? It's exciting times. So. Keep the fight. Southampton. Southampton and West Ham there. They're, they're on notice. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have you. We're coming for you. Um, thank you very much for watching. We do appreciate it. We'll see you all again soon. Up the Villa. Thanks all. Up the Villa. Up the Villa. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the Villa. Up the Villa.